And uh, the results of that are catastrophic uh, as we try to live our Christian life. And so I want to continue on that theme of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And uh, so this series on followership, we're going to hit a couple different issues. This morning, uh, we need to certainly hit an important issue, the heart of a follower. Um, What's that heart supposed to be like? And, and how do we get to that place where our heart is so in tuned with the one we follow that it becomes quite easy to follow? And so we're going to look at that, and that's no small subject. I'd like to read from Luke chapter 8, verse 4 through 15, and then we're going to ask God to teach us. Luke chapter 8, verse 4, And when a great multitude were coming together, and those from various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. And other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns. The thorns grew up with it and choked it out. And other seed fell into good soil and grew up, produced a crop a hundred times as great. As he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable might be. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest, it is in parables, in order that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. And those beside the road are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And and these have no firm root. They believe for a while, and then time of temptation, they fall away. And the seed which fell among the thorns, these are the ones who have heard. And as they go their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. And the seed and the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart, and hold it fast, and bear fruit with perseverance. Let's pray. Our God, we thank you for this morning. What an amazing thought if we were to really ponder the reality that you, the living God, are here. Not just here, but fully aware of who we are and what we really are. Fully engaged with our thoughts even this moment. Lord, that can be scary because you know it all, but Lord, it also brings hope because you can change us and you can transform us. That's what we ask for. Please help us to be who you want us to be. Change us as we hear you, and Lord, might we have ears to hear and eyes to see all that you have for us this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Little Danny came flying out of Children's Church one Sunday like a wild stallion, and his eyes were darted all around, and he was looking for mom or dad, whoever he could find first, and found dad and grabbed a hold of his dad's shirt and tugged at him. He said, Dad, I gotta tell you, that story of Moses and all those people crossing the Red Sea was incredible. It was great. 
His father looked down and smiled and, and said, Danny, tell me about the story. Well, he said the Israelites had got out of Egypt. But Pharaoh and his army chased after them, and so the Jews ran as fast as they could, and they got to the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army was getting closer and closer. So Moses got on his walkie-talkie, told the Israeli Air Force to bomb the Egyptians. And while that was happening, the Israeli Navy built a pontoon bridge so the people could cross over, and they made it. His dad was now a shock, but a little concerned. Is that the way they taught the story? No, no, not exactly, Dad. But if I told you the way they told it, you'd never believe it. <laughs> you know, there's something about a good story. Uh, we love good stories. They engage us. And, uh, and to a certain degree, they kind of lower our defenses as we kind of begin to ease a little bit because we like a good story. Jesus was the master storyteller. And he told very intentional stories, this being one of them. Now, up to the context of this, Jesus had been traveling with his disciples along the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee. They'd visited the inland city of Chorazan and coastal cities of Bethsaida and Capernaum. These cities had already heard him say some amazing things. They'd seen him do some amazing things or had heard of what he'd done. You know, by mere touch of the hand, healing somebody. The blind had received their sight. The lame had walked. The deaf could hear. And this is what they heard. You know, it's interesting, the Mark account and Matthew account tell us that he sat in a boat in the water and taught because there were so many people there. Now he's outside Capernaum. Crowd is gathered on the seashore. And we have an introduction to this whole story. This great multitude, they were coming together. Those from various cities were journeying to him. So they're coming from cities, and it's not like they're in the neighborhood and like, ah, it's Jesus down the road, let's go hear him. No, they came to him. They want to hear from this would-be Messiah in some of their cases. In other cases, they believed him. And they want to hear from him. And he speaks, we're told, by the way of a parable. What's a parable? Well, if I can draw upon the image of corn, since... That's kind of a happening thing right now. If you think about corn, you have the husk and you have the cob with the kernels inside. And you could say a parable is the husk of the earthly story, but what's wrapped or what's within the husk of that earthly story is the kernels of spiritual truth. Jesus told parables that those who heard and saw would unwrap the husk and find within them kernels of truth, spiritual truth. And so Jesus taught in parables. Parables that captivate us. Stories that were simple, but packed a punch. And yet there were those who heard who refused to be captured. You see, the mysteries of God's kingdom are hidden in such a way that sincere seekers will find the kernels of truth, but those who will only find the husk. Jesus is teaching a parable and those who are honest seekers, those who have good soil, are going to be those who find the kernels of truth. And in this parable, Jesus describes spiritual fields that make up the landscape of northern Galilee. And this landscape is the hearts of men and women. Now, Jesus' description in verse 5 would have been something very familiar. 
There are often roads going through cultivated land, so it's no surprise that some seed would fall alongside the land because there were little roads that traveled through these fields all the time. And so Jesus says the sower went out to sow a seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road. Not unusual. It's not like they'd say, oh man, never seen that happen. No, it was not unusual, and it'd be something very familiar to them. He goes on to say, other seed fell on rocky soil. It's not unusual either. The rocks would crop out, and they'd be near the surface, and so there'd only really be a thin layer of soil above it. The shallow area would dry out quickly. It would really hold no moisture, understandably, because there's only a thin layer of soil. In verse 7, he goes on, Other seed fell among the thorns. Thorns grew up with it, choked it out. In other places, there had been during previous years thorns and bushes that left unaddressed. They'd grow up with the plant and begin to strangle out growth, much like our garden. (laughs) Verse 8, Other seed fell into good soil. There was good, cultivated, prepared soil that when the seed fell in, look what happened to it. It grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. Now be honest, if you're listening to this story in the original time it was told, you're thinking, so what? Tell us something we don't know. We journeyed all this way to hear you tell this kind of story? I had to. I, if I was there, it would have gone through my mind. I'd heard Jesus say, you... I mean, what you teach is mind-boggling. It's, it's awesome, and it's, it, it leaves people scratching their heads, and this is what I get? This is what we get, this kind of normal story? And then Jesus cries out, because this is the issue. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The context implies it was something he called out multiple times. That maybe as he told the story, he would stop. And he'd say, hey, you who have ears to hear, listen, pay attention. And so I'm sure he kept them riveted, but I imagine their initial thought was, this isn't much of a story. This sounds like something I walk by every day. But it made me ask a question, too. Why obscure the message? Verse 10, to you you it's been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest in parables, in order that seeing they may not see, hearing they may not understand. I mean, why obscure the message? It seems like that's what he's doing. But what we don't understand is Jesus has already communicated quite a bit to these people. Matter of fact, he even warned the people of Chorazon and said, hey, if, if, if other people would have heard what you've heard, <laughs> I mean, they would, have been, they would have been captured by it, yet you've rejected all this. So it's not like this is the first time Jesus has spoken to them. He hasn't obscured the message. They just haven't had ears to hear or eyes to see, to understand the mysteries of what Jesus was saying. And if this parable teaches us anything at this point, it teaches us this, that no matter how worthy the sower, or how wonderful the seed, it's the condition of the soil that determines the crop. And that's pretty clear at this point. Jesus is making it clear. It's the soil, a prepared soil, the condition of the soil, that's key to the production of this seed, to the fruitfulness of it. Now in verse 11 and 12, it's really important we identify some things as Jesus goes through this. And that is this. Seed, from verse 11, is the Word of God. 
Don't forget that as we go through this. The seed is the word of God. In verse 12, we read, And these, those from beside the road who have heard, then the devil comes and takes away from the, seed, the word from their heart, so that they would not believe and be saved. So when you see this idea of soil, you need to think of heart. From their heart, soil. Okay, so we got the seed is the word of God, the heart is the soil. Those two things are important as we go on here. Now Jesus explains the parable himself. His disciples come to him, scratching their head, and they say, what's this story about? They they might have thought the same thing. This isn't much of a story. Uh, What are you trying to get at? And so he explains it to them. He says, verse 11, again, the parable is this, the seed's the word of God. He kind of makes some correlations so we understand. He says there's four types of soil, which he's already introduced, but now he's going to make it a spiritual application to what he's saying. He says, hear the word, because even before the germination of the seed, before it brings change to the heart, the power of darkness has taken away all recollection and thoughts of it. Those beside the road are those who heard. Then the devil comes, and he takes it away. They've heard it, but the enemy comes. And so the roots can't penetrate. The seed fell on ground. It was packed hard from feet, too hurried to stop and reflect on all the seed had to offer. The ground was too hard. Now, if you live, maybe have a field or backwoods or something, and you have a path through it, and you're constantly driving on it or walking on it, it gets hard, doesn't it? It gets packed. And how dangerous is it to walk the same path, spiritually speaking, over and over and over? It could be the path that leads to church. It could be a path of just your life, and it gets packed harder and harder and harder, and God's there trying to drop a seed on, but the, hard, the heart is hard because it's been trampled over and over and over. He talks in verse 13 now, about rocky soil. So we got this hard soil, this hard heart. Remember, the soil is the heart. So you got hard heart. The seed's the word of God. Seed's been put upon the, the ground, but it's hard. The heart is hard. And that person isn't receiving. He's not receptive to the planting of the seed of the word of God. In verse 13, he moves to the rocky soil. And those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear it, they receive the word with great joy. These have no firm root. They believe for a while and time of temptation fall away. Now let's consider them. This is rocky soil. Okay, the idea of a rocky heart. They receive it with joy, enthusiasm. There's an emotional excitement. However, they don't allow it to penetrate deeply into their hearts and their lives. Here the seed falls into a heart that's shallow. Shallow in its understanding. So the roots can't penetrate deeply enough for the plant to survive the inevitable scorch of difficult days ahead. So you have a hard heart. Then you have a shallow heart. The seeds don't go deep enough. Inevitably they fall away. Or think of a plant, they will. And this is maybe the temptations of big events. Those who live conference to conference. They receive the word with great joy. They leave pumped up. And so a week later, they're falling away, looking forward to the next big emotional splurge. And so they live conference to conference to conference. Inevitably, their heart is shallow. The seed can't really take root. But then there's another group. 
It's not just rocky soil. It's not just a hard heart or a shallow heart. We introduce to verse 14, And the seed which fell among the thorns, which are the ones who have heard, and as they go on their way, they're choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life, and they bring no fruit to maturity. They've heard it. They've allowed the teaching to take root in their heart. The problem is they haven't weeded out other things in their heart. There's a competition taking place. There's more than taking root in their heart. There's the thorns of worldliness the similar evils that choke out spiritual vitality. The seed has fallen on hearts. Hearts, though, are overgrown with distractions, which, to be honest, seemed harmless at first, but all of a sudden, as they allowed them to grow and fed them, they began to choke out the effectiveness of what God's seed is trying to accomplish. They choked out the growth. And there's an interesting little phrase, I find, in this verse. Verse 14, right in the middle of it. These are the ones who have heard and they go on whose way? Their own way. Not God's way. They go on their own way. And maybe that's why we fear for our kids going to college, huh? Planted seeds. They get that age. What do we pray that they don't go their own way? (laughs) They go God's way. There's fear in that. Uh, We've all faced that. But the problem isn't a hard heart at this point. It's it's not even a shallow heart, it's a divided heart. It's a heart that's, that's now not holy Christ. It's, it's a little of Christ, but, but there's other things that it gives too much credence to. It's not a wholehearted devotion to Christ. It's a punch-the-clock devotion to Christ because there's other things that are really, really important. You've been there, you've got up, and you're like, you know, I really should spend time with God. But... I got this going on, and I got this going on, and I got this going on, and, and our, we're divided, we're distracted. And we have a divided heart. Jesus teaches. He said some seed fell on the hard hearts. There were those hearts that are shallow. They heard, but they didn't give it any more attention. They didn't water that seed. And there were those that were distracted. They didn't deal with the worldliness. They didn't deal with those seeds which were really working against what Christ wanted to accomplish in their life. They played the game. They rolled the dice a little bit. He said, those hearts are divided. But thank God there's a fourth heart that we need to get to. And we see it, verse 15, in the seed in the good soil, these are the ones they heard the word in an honest and good heart and hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, in all four cases, understand this. This is important. The seed is the same seed. It's the Word of God. The sower is the same sower. What's different is not the message. What's different is not the messenger. What is different is the heart of the ones listening. That's the difference. And if the ratio of the story has any significance, three-quarters of us have a bad heart. Three-quarters of us don't have a heart that's right if the ratio of the story is right. Because again, the seed's the same seed, the sower's the same sower. It's the heart that's the issue. It's the receptivity of the heart that's the problem. And this is where some of the application comes in pretty clearly. The good soil, verse 15, we're told, is a good heart. Remember, the soil is the heart. It's a good heart. But the question on table is what made the good heart good? What makes a good heart? What should the heart of a follower of Jesus Christ be like? 
And according to the parable, by implication, it's not to be a hard one. The follower is not to have a shallow heart. The follower is not to have a divided heart. A follower is to have a good heart. And if I may, the order is important. Because we're not to have a hard heart. What we're told here, and we'll expand more on this, we're to have a humble heart. And we're not to have a shallow heart. We're to have a heart that has depth to it. And we're not to have a, a divided heart, but we're to have a heart that's wholly yielded to Him. That's the heart of a follower. A humble heart, a heart that's growing in depth, and a heart that wholly belongs to Him. Let's break this down even more. A heart that's humble, not hard. In Matthew 13, verse 8, it's a parallel passage. Jesus says something similar. He said, Others' seed fell on the good soil, yielded a crop some hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. In other words, there's great production that takes place because the seed is planted in good soil. Think about that. Wouldn't it be great to have a life like that? Barns full. Bushels running over. A bounty able to feed not only our family, but have enough to feed generations and enough left over to feed others around us. Man, a life like that would be wonderful, wouldn't it? But the soil from which it came, not so much. You see, to produce a crop like this, any farmer would tell you, the soil would have to be plowed. It's clods broken up. It's embedded, resistance removed, a rock at a time. The competing tendrils rooted out weed by weed. And to nourish the crops with the minerals they need, certain things in and around the soil would have to surrender their lives. Leaves, twigs, bark, each in its own time, each in its own way, would have to be broken off and fall to the ground. All of it would have to die and crumble into compost. Mixed with the manure left behind from passing animals, rotted by the moisture and the mold of the mildew, mulched by insects, by bacteria, eaten by bacteria, stirred by the trenching of earthworms. You see, each of us wants a heart of humility, but do we realize what it takes? Do we realize the process involved? You see, the organic material that has been broken down to give soil its richness is called humus. Our English word is related to that, humility. It means to be brought low. You see, a hard heart is resistance to this process of humbling. But a humble heart is receptive to God's cultivating process. You know what a hard heart says. I don't need that. A hard heart says, change what? There's nothing going on, nothing wrong in my life. A hard heart says, don't tell me that. I already know that. A hard heart says, I, if I hear that, I'm gone. That's a hard heart. You see, they're not receptive. There's no receptivity. They, they don't want to go through the cultivation process that God has for them to cultivate their heart so it would be receptive to cultivate their heart that it would become a humble heart. A humble heart is a heart that's open to God. A humble heart is one that begs for any crumbs that would fall from the master's table. That's a humble heart. We're told God gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to a humble heart. And if that's true, whatever happens to bring humility in the long run is a good thing because he gives grace to the humble. Jesus 
The only time he described himself, he said, I'm humble in heart. If we're to follow Jesus as a follower, we are to be humble in heart. I appreciate this quote from Andrew Murray in one of his writings. He said, this, my friend, is the secret of secrets. It will help you to reap where you have not sown. It will be a continual source of grace in your soul for everything that inwardly stirs in you or outwardly happens to you becomes a real good to you if it finds or excites in you a humble state of mind. For nothing is in vain or without profit to the humble soul. You see, a humble soul stands always in a state of divine growth. Everything that falls upon it is like dew of heaven to it. I think Murray's hitting what this parable is getting at. And that a humble heart is open to what God has. But a hard heart is not receptive to the seeds that God wants to plant. Therein lies the difference between a humble heart and a hard heart. But God says, I don't want you to have a shallow heart either, but I want you to have one of depth. I mean, who doesn't want to lick the middle of an Oreo cookie? Good night. I mean, we all want that. Right? Who doesn't want the crust off the sandwich? I mean, if you like sandwiches, I like the crust a lot. I mean, who doesn't want all that sweet and soft of Christianity? I mean, I mean, we want that. We want the love, and we want the joy, and we want the peace. But who wants to be a man or woman acquainted with sorrows? I don't see people signing up for that, criteria, that curriculum. And do any of us even know what that's like? To live with pain that won't go away. To carry a heartache with us. To search down deep into a heart and find things aren't alright. To find idols. Who wants to go down deep and take care and find out who we really are and do business there? Only a heart of depth does that. It's not shallow. You see, a heart of depth can say, trouble and anguish have come upon me, yet my commands... Your commands are my delight. Psalm 119, 143. Only a heart that has depth can say, Princes persecute me without cause, but my heart stands in awe of your words. That's a heart of depth. Deep calls to deep at the sound of your waterfalls. All your breakers and waves have rolled over me. You see, a heart that's not shallow is not afraid to go deep. It's not afraid to search out what's really there. It's not afraid to say, God, search me and know me and see what's in me. I have a great friend, dear friend, Joy. She actually would babysit a couple of our kids. And uh, she has journeyed with depression. And it's been a tough journey for her. She's gone through, if maybe you've had to go through the difficult uh, searching of whether medication's a good thing, bad thing, and, 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 and gone to God in faith and tried to claim healing and she's done a lot of that journey and it hasn't been easy. And she's wrestled with it. But she's persisted. She's a deeper person because of it. No wonder she helps lead worship. Because she's gone deeper. Not shallow. This seed hasn't been planted in a shallow heart. Joy's heart is far from shallow. But it's found growth because she's been not afraid to go deeper. And some here, you've heard the truth, and you've refused to wrestle with it, to continue to interact with it, 
until it's taken root. And thus, as you listen right now, you've got to admit your heart's shallow. It's ironic that often shallowness is admired in our society, especially Hollywood. People who seem to want to be going deeper and make people uncomfortable. But deep does call the deep. Those who are in scriptures, those who meditate upon truth, yes, those even wrestle with them like Job, who read other biblical sources, who chew on what scripture is saying, it's their hearts that go deeper. And the key issue is our hearts. Because our hearts not affect only our life, but the potential to impact generations. No wonder the author of Proverbs said, guard your heart with all diligence. Guard it. Protect it. So it won't be shallow. But it'll be a heart of depth. But verse 14 teaches us something else as well. That we're not to have a divided heart but a heart that's wholly yielded to Him. That it wouldn't be the worries or the riches or the distractions in life. They wouldn't choke out what it means to follow Jesus, but that we'd be wholly yielded to Him. Because when the soil embraces the seed, it sets in motion a process of germination. And when the heart allows the Word to root deeply into its dark recesses, the Word can take what's there and transform it. Not only into something vital, but something fruitful. Now I want you to stop and reflect on that for a second. When the soil embraces the seed, when our hearts embrace God's truth, it sets in motion a process of spiritual germination, which allows the Word of God to root into the recesses of our heart, into the soil, and it takes what's there and and transforms it. It makes it vital. It makes it fruitful. So that the welfare of our soul, not just its daily, but also its eternal welfare, depends on the response of our heart. Depends on whether we'll be receptive to it. But how will your heart respond? Is it undivided? Or is it distracted? Some hearts this morning here are overgrown with distractions. And they might have seemed harmless at first. In the beginning... But now, if you're honest, they're beginning to choke out your growth. Some people are just easily distracted. Selfish pursuits, the toys, the relationships, the worries, as Jesus said, the riches, the pleasures of life, they begin to choke it out. And as you sit here this morning, you're like, no, I don't love God like I should, or I certainly don't love, and my devotion to God isn't like it was. And if you were to be honest, it's because all the stuff that you've allowed to compete with your relationship with God If you're honest, your heart's become divided. But herein lies the challenge. It's to have a heart that's good, a humble heart, a heart that grows in depth, a heart that's wholly yielded to Him. How long has it been since you just let God have you? Since you just spent time with Him, and I mean really have Him, unreserved and say, God, I'm yours. Speak to me. Lead me. Guide me. I'm yours. And what would that look like? I mean, what would that look like to let God capture your heart? What would it look like to have, I don't know, a heart like Jesus? 
Max Lucado, I appreciate his thoughts on this because he asks the same question. I want you to hear what he says. It certainly is worth pondering. What if for one day Jesus were to become you? What if for 24 hours Jesus wakes up in your bed, walks in your shoes, lives in your house, assumes your schedule, your boss becomes his boss, your mother becomes his mother, your pains become his pains? With one exception, nothing about your life changes. Your health doesn't change, your circumstances don't change, your schedule isn't altered, your problems aren't solved. Only one change occurs. And what if for one day and one night Jesus lives your life with his heart? Your heart gets the day off, and your life is led by the heart of Christ. His priorities govern your actions. His passions drive your decisions. His love directs your behavior. What would it be like? Would people notice a change? Your family, would they see something new? How about your coworkers? Would they see a difference? What about the less fortunate around you? Would you treat them the same? And your friends? Would they detect more joy? How about your enemies? Would they receive more mercy from Christ's heart than yours? And you, how would you feel? What alterations would this transplant have on your stress level? Your mood swings? Your temper? Would you sleep better? If you had the heart of Christ, would you see sunsets differently? Death differently? Taxes differently. Any chance you'd need fewer aspirin or sedatives? How about your reaction to traffic delays? That one could hurt. What would you dread that you are dreading? Better yet, would you still do what you are doing? Would you still do what you have planned to do for the next 24 hours? Think about your schedule, your obligations, your engagements, your outings, appointments. With Jesus taking over your heart, the question asks, would anything change? Would anything change? You see, God's plan for you is nothing short of a new heart. A heart that's humble. A heart that has depth. And a heart that's undivided, that's wholly His. There's three things we need to take, at least from this parable, that the heart of a follower needs. First of all, you need to recognize you need the Savior. Not a one-time decision. Every single day. If you're going to have a heart like Jesus, you need the power of Christ at work in your life. So stay close to Him. Daily, stay close to Him. Two, recognize it starts by needing a Savior, but you need His seed. You need His truth. You need His Word. Because it's that Word that goes down into the recesses and begins to change and transform the soil we have. Don't give him a quick glance. Daily bread's good, but it's not deep enough. Go deeper. You and I need daily his seed and recognizing you need cultivating. And let's be honest, it hurts when thorns are pulled out. But don't resist. Don't resist God's working of cultivating. Because to have a heart like Jesus, to have a heart of a follower is to have a humble heart, to have a heart of depth, and to have a heart undivided. And think of all the possibilities of a changed heart. You see, it changes everything. 
Because some seed fell into the good soil and grew up. It produced a crop a hundred times as great. Let's pray. Dear Lord of the harvest, I wonder at times why it is so little of the seed that's sown in my heart ever reaches maturity, let alone fruition. Lord, I think maybe we all ask the question, why is it that your word has such a hard time in planning itself in our life? Why do we wilt when our faith comes under fire? Why is it, God, we seek week after week, hacking away all the thorns in the same old weeds? God, come into the field of our heart. Please take the plow. Furl the hardness out of our life. God, dig up the obstacles that have kept the roots of my faith from going deeper. Pull out the worldly preoccupations that tendril their thorns around our hearts and squeeze out the spiritual life. Oh God, please cultivate our hearts so we can catch every word that falls from heaven. Every syllable of encouragement, every sentence of rebuke, every paragraph of instruction, every page of warning, God, help us to catch these words as soft, fertile soil catches seeds. God, help each of us to watch over our hearts with all diligence. Realizing, God, that the harvest of my heart not only helps to feed a generation now, but to seed harvests of generations to come. And as followers that sit here this morning, cultivate the soil that we could have humble hearts, hearts that are deep and undivided. And might the end result of be your glory, your praise, and your pleasure. For it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. These are definitely hard words for us as a church body. We don't have to look very far near to us, just the brokenness in, in lives, perhaps in our own lives. And I'd just like to just continue to lead us in our response and in worship and just spend a few minutes as yourself, maybe just offering your prayers and praises up to God as we just reflect in for just a few minutes together.
Lord, these are definitely hard words. Lord, we know how your, your scriptures, we just praise you, Lord, for your scriptures, for your word, Lord. We know that it, it has a surgery-like effect, Lord. It's, it's sharper than a two-edged sword. It cuts to our, to our very core, to our very being. Lord, we confess our sin to you, Lord. Lord, we just continue to ask that you would pour out your spirit and on, on this congregation, Lord, in each of our lives. We fall so short. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit that you've given us, that, that lives within us, that even prays for things that we don't even know how to utter. Sometimes the darkness is so great, Lord, we don't know even what to say, but your spirit is there, Lord, to pray on our behalf, interceding for us. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in you that takes us from that darkness, that shows us that glorious light. Lord, we can't make these changes on our own. You have to give us that new heart. Lord, maybe, may we be obedient, Lord, to the things that you'd have us do as we hear your word, as we read it as we meditate on it. Lord, may it be a, just a, a sweet taste in our mouth, Lord. A joy to our, our ears. A joy to our heart. May you, Lord, give us an increasing desire for you. Knowing that only you can satisfy the longings of our heart. Everything that we're searching for is found in you. Lord, you know the needs of our, of our congregation, our body. We continue to pray a blessing over our fellowship together. We know that many are hurting. There's a some that just need your, the hope of your salvation. Others, Lord, we just need that encouragement. Others, Lord, we need this, sometimes the firm reminder of get back on track. Lord, I just want to lift up Elroy Deline today too, Lord, for his surgery tomorrow. Just go before him, give him peace, pray for a quick recovery and good healing. We just want to continue to remember that team that's serving in Poland and that you just go before them as well. Pray for the hearts of those in, in that summer ministry in Poland that where they're serving. Lord, that you just remove those hearts of stone and put hearts in flesh, Lord. You could cultivate that soil there.
Lord, we just continue to give you the praise and glory, and we just want to pray together as you've taught us to pray, Lord, if you join me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our trespasses, friend. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers if they would come forward and prepare with the offering. Let's just lift up our prayer for the offering. Heavenly Father, we just... We've been blessed beyond what we deserve. And we desire that, that you would bless us, these gifts and these tithes and these offerings, Lord. We continue to lay our lives before you. May this all go for your glory and honor and for the furtherance of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, Franklin Graham was here in Minnesota on June 16th. Some of you may have been a part of that. And uh, Keith and Becky Swenson are going to be hosting a, uh, a time of prayer at their home August 11th from 6.30 to 8 p.m. And kind of a response to that. And I think there's an intent to uh, have a, uh, prayer meetings like twice a month is, is what I understand. And we have some more information. If you have any questions, you can talk to Keith and Becky Swenson. So that's uh, August 11th, and the focus of August is to focus on uh, law enforcement officials. So we can direct our questions to them. I just wanted to give you a little update on what's going on across the country. Thank you, Ken. I appreciate it. Uh, you're all encouraged to stay after fellowship up in the um, fellowship hall, straight up the stairs. If you're new here, we hope that you'll